Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Archie Mann, host of... uh, Commons, Commons. Yeah, I think you've heard of it, have you? I have heard of Commons. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty great. Arshi, today on the show, I'll probe myself twice if you just stop bugging me. Trudeau bargains with yet another scandal. Also, artificial intelligence. It's smarter than anti-vaxxers. Lobar? I mean, I've met some pretty smart anti-vaxxers, so we'll see. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everyone by Derek O'Connell, Adam Langley, Tanner Rogalski, Jason Miller, Eric Sundby, Oliver Goodison-Powell, Andrea Slonowski, and Anson from Calgary. This is Anson, an air traffic controller and maritimer living in Calgary. I support Canada Land because I noticed that over the past few years, it's where I get most of my news from. You've become a news source disguised as a media critique show. I've been a listener and supporter since the I read everything you send and respond when I can days. I enjoy the guest's interaction with Jesse on Shortcuts and the comment series. I especially like the addition of Matea as host of Backbench. She's hilarious. 
Hershey, it was only five weeks ago that I had global news reporter Sam Cooper on the Monday edition of Canada Land to talk about a scoop that he broke in November all about Chinese meddling into Canadian elections. And at the time, my question was, that story is huge. Why is it not a bigger deal? I cannot say that anymore. The shit has blown up. Yeah, I'd say a few people are talking about it now. And unfortunately, it wasn't because of our Monday show episode. Nor was it because of Sam Cooper's reporting, unfortunately. But yeah, it now has some legs. It is actually incredible that we have this uprising at our intelligence body. This has never happened before. They must be very worried about how the prime minister is working against the interests of his own country and his own people. They've been warning him for years about this. And what has he done? He's covered it up, even encouraged it to continue. And so they are so concerned about how the prime minister is acting against Canada's interests and in favor of a foreign dictatorship's interests that they are actually releasing this information publicly. And what Okay, lots of movement on this one since uh, Jonathan and Sarah talked about it last week. Let's catch everybody up for starters here. And let's actually start at the real beginning in terms of the reporting. And that is June. Last June, Jim Bronskill, reporter with the Canadian Press, he reported, here's the headline, Beijing may have tried to discourage Canadians from voting conservative. And that's attributed to federal unit. Arshi, what's a federal unit? I think it's an improvement on the metric system, if I remember correctly. In this context, a federal research unit, uh, the Rapid Response Mechanism Canada. I think we're getting some insight into why that story did not blow up huge. But Jim Brunskill did some reporting. He A-tipped that unit and got a report that the Rapid Response Mechanism Canada had written all about the 2021 election. And that A-tip of that report is the, is the way that we first learned in the public, those of us who read that story, that there were Beijing Communist Party-affiliated accounts on Chinese social media on a platform called Douyin, which is like TikTok in China. And it was coming from Chinese state media, but it was getting laundered and it was getting served to Canadian Chinese people in the diaspora the root of the messaging was kind of obscured. You didn't know it was coming from Chinese state media. And it was basically lying to voters in Canada, telling them that they should not vote conservative for various reasons, that, that, that uh, Canada was planning on cutting off diplomatic ties with Beijing, that, that if the conservatives won, they would be uh, creating a, a registry of all Chinese Canadians, just total lies to discourage people from voting uh, conservative. And that, that's, you know, that's an interesting story that got almost no traction. And I think it's a pretty familiar story. You know, we've had a lot of discussion about online disinformation, even stuff sponsored by foreign states. And so I can kind of understand why that flew under the radar. I mean, there's meddling and then there's meddling. You know, there's election interference light. There's, this is the usual churn, which now we, we just live with, that they're, they're, they're always going to be. And you know what? We might even be doing this kind of thing too in other countries. Like this is sort of just like the, the general white noise of election interference around the world. Well, one distinction that comes up in one of these reports is between digital and analog meddling. And this, the stuff you're talking about in that CP report would kind of fall under the digital category. And I think we've become accustomed to the idea that governments are going to be digitally meddling with 
our elections in some ways through the use of information and articles that are spouting nonsense. Yeah, I guess so. I, which is not to dismiss it totally because I think that these things are getting more and more influential. And, and, and you know, the conservatives were saying we lost like nine races because of this. And like, how do you prove something like that? But, you know, it, it, I'm sure it didn't help them, you know. But anyhow, that was reported that, that like we this was in the press in Canada. That there was Chinese election interference last June. And, and yeah, it didn't get much traction. Then in November, Sam Cooper of Global News got his hands on top secret CSIS documents. Reporters like getting their hands on top secret documents. And that was, I think, the bombshell that took the story further and said this was, this was more than just the usual chatter and noise. This was not just about disinformation, misinformation. This was about money. This was about money going through a bunch of network of intermediaries, but from Beijing and the consulate into the campaigns of federal candidates for, for parliament in 2019. And what's more, Cooper reported that some of these people, unnamed, knew. Like we had politicians receiving money from Beijing and they kind of knew where that money was coming from and they took it anyhow. I think the language is they were witting affiliates. That's right. And that's why I was like, holy shit, that sounds like a really big news story. And that came out in November. And it, it again, like just kind of just tumbleweeds, didn't really... Didn't really make much happen. Uh, Trudeau just sort of denied it out of hand, said like it was one of those. I think we talked about it like it was one of those denials where you're like, is he denying that any of that happened or is there like some little semantic way in which he's saying this story is false, so I'm not going to respond to it. It was kind of hard to tell. And then about two weeks ago, a very similar story went big in the Globe and Mail. And, you know, as Jonathan pointed out, you can, there's kind of aesthetic ways of knowing how big a story the Globe thinks they have. Like they put it out and like, you know, it's not the Toronto Sun. They don't put it out in like a size 100 font, but it was like just the text, no graphics. It's what they do when they've got a big investigation that they've been working on for a year. That's not the case in this instance. As with Sam Cooper, we're told that somebody from CSIS basically handed documents over to Bob Fife and Stephen Chase that told of a very similar thing to what Sam Cooper reported, but with respect to the 2021 election, not the 2019 election. But again, secret CSIS documents show that they were investigating candidates for parliament for taking Chinese money. Secret and top secret. So you got both and top secret, yeah. So that played. (laughs) That played big. And what happened after that is that Trudeau found himself under mounting pressure to just like, okay, there's obviously a there, there. This is not just the usual. We need a public inquest. We need a public inquiry. We got to air this out. We need sunlight. Everybody was saying that. Gerald Butts was saying that. I think it might be the first time I've ever seen Gerald Butts go against Trudeau since quote unquote leaving the the employment of, of the PMO. I think that's right, but I also try to ignore most of the things that Gerald Butt says nowadays. So. Well, that's why it was remarkable. He was actually, because Trudeau was, was saying, no, no, we, we don't need this inquest. And his position was really weird. As listeners will remember, Trudeau's position was not like there's no interference. He's like, yes, yes, yes. They play these aggressive games. China does meddle and interfere, but we don't need an inquest. And we shouldn't worry about this because... And, and like, stop asking me these questions because, first of all, it's racist. You ask these questions of my liberal MPs, you are questioning their loyalty to Canada. This is anti-Asian sentiment. This is fear-mongering. This is xenophobia. It's all this China is evil stuff, and that's racist. Secondly, if you keep talking about this and asking me questions about it, you'll only be helping Beijing because their whole goal is to destabilize our democracy because China is evil. 
So there's a kind of a contradiction here into why we should all shut up about this. Well, there's a third reason that he says we should shut up about it is because the documents were improperly leaked, that basically it was a crime to leak them. So they cannot possibly comment on on allegations arising from a crime. I can't answer these questions because <laughs> you should never have known about any of this. Exactly. <laughs> that logic did not hold for long. Even the guy who who ran the Trudeau Foundation was calling for a public inquest. So have a public inquest, have a public inquest, have a public inquest. And Trudeau, finally, Trudeau goes, okay, fine. You want me to do a thing? I'll do a thing. I'll do two things. I am launching two probes. In the coming days, we will appoint an eminent Canadian to the position of independent special rapporteur who will have a wide mandate to make expert recommendations on protecting and enhancing Canadians' faith in our democracy. I will now be appointing an expert panel, a special rapporteur, an eminent Canadian. Arshi, who will this special rapper be? I'm assuming it's Peter Mansbridge. I don't know, an independent special rapper. Could it be Drake? He is certified. Could it be classified? Could that be the special rapper? I mean, Cardinal Official would probably be my pick. He does have official status. That's right. I don't know. Um, An independent special rapporteur. Uh, Pierre Polyev had some fun with that one. Rapporteur. (laughs) A fake new position that they have invented. Rapporteur. Uh, Does it come with a costume? Maybe a cape (laughs) and a sword? Archie, are these probes going to cut it? I don't think so. I mean, it depends on what you're after. Is it the truth? Then perhaps, because these probes will allow at least MPs with top secret clearance to view a lot of the intelligence that we're talking about here. However, they're not allowed to talk about that ever. They'll be able to then give that information to the special rapporteur who who the hell knows who that's going to be and whether or not they're actually going to be interested in the truth. I don't have a lot of faith in that process. If your goal is then to get Canadians to trust the electoral process again. Can we talk about that goal for a second? Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the first problem with the special rapper is that is that the report is a bunch of recommendations that goes to the prime minister. It's not public. It's not a public inquest, okay? But the other part with the special rapper, well, let's actually just listen to Trudeau again here. Like, the, the other part is the mandate of what the special rapper is, is, is looking at here. Who will have a wide mandate to make expert recommendations on protecting and enhancing Canadians' faith in our democracy. Wait just one fucking minute here. The goal is to protect and enhance Canadians' faith in democracy? I thought the goal was to figure out what the hell happened, right? So he's like, okay, there was election meddling accusations here. Okay, like, there are, like, very serious accusations that, like, actual candidates took money wittingly and, like, maybe won and maybe owe favors to Beijing. So we're going to look into this. We're going to probe this. You got to really be, like, look very carefully at the language here. The mandate will be, the point of this is that Canadians' faith in democracy has been damaged and we need to repair that. And if we find out about this level of election meddling and that becomes public, that would, I'd say, damage Canadians' faith in democracy. So perhaps it would be in the special rapporteur's interest to not say anything. Is that what you're implying? The goal is, is to keep us believing in, in, in the integrity of the system. Then we maybe sh- it, it, it could be argued that we shouldn't even know about what, what the special rapper finds. You're just really sticking with the special rapper thing, huh? <laughs> I'm going to make it play. I'm going to make it play. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> 
So this is a rapidly moving story from nothing happening for months. Things are happening every day in Sam Cooper. As we record today, it's, it's a Wednesday. Sam Cooper has another report out. As we said, his his facts were questioned by the prime minister himself, which is something we, we've seen again and again out uh, of the playbook of, of Trudeau. Like SNC-Lavalin, revelations come out, Globe and Mail. His first move is to say the report is false. We charity, the report is deemed to be false. And then we find out later that it's like, well, actually, the report was real. There's just some weird way in which they were trying to. Anyhow. Yeah, they lie outright at And sometimes times. they just lie outright. Yeah. In, in this case, we're seeing that again. It's not holding up. And Sam Cooper has a report out again from Global News where now that his reporting has been called into question, he has more receipts. He has uh, two reports that, that he was able to get his hands on that lend substance to the idea that reports were prepared for Trudeau's eyes that go towards this actually being a thing. So this is moving very quickly, but I want to take a breath with you, Arshi. I want to take a pause here to talk about the sourcing of the base stories because this all yeah. this all goes back, I mean, it kind of goes back to Bronskill, but I think that what, what has made this move politically goes back to the CSIS leaks and the CSIS leaks all go back to Sam Cooper's reporting and then Bob Fife and Steve Chase's reporting for the Globe and Mail. And that reporting relies not exclusively, but very heavily on documents that came from spies. This is information that spies gave us illegally. I don't know about you, but do you do you have a lot of faith in CSIS, Jesse? I don't know. I don't know. I'll say this. A lot of journalists do have, have faith in CSIS. A lot of journalists, if something comes from authorities, a line gets blurred and then crossed really quickly. I'm going to play you something. This is the Globe and Mail's news podcast, The Decibel. So these are some big revelations here that we're talking about. This is very orchestrated, very particular things that are being done. Can I just ask you broadly, Bob, because you're talking about these revelations uh, about the 2021 federal election, that there was some kind of involvement here in the election. What did we learn specifically from the documents about what was happening here? All right, Arshi. So there's the host of the decibel moving very quickly from, hey, reporter Bob Fife, you have documents that you got from spies which say that they were investigating that things might have happened. And like very quickly, that changes to, these are very particular things that are being done. So we've moved very rapidly. And I, and I, I think that a lot of people have done this from spies say that this may have been happening to, well, obviously it happened. And we're taking the spies word for it. Is that wise? I don't think so. I think there's reporting that should be done into these allegations. And certainly the reports from CSIS, these intelligence briefings that were prepared by CSIS are news unto themselves. And I'm glad that folks like Sam Cooper and Stephen Chase and Bob Fife at The Globe are putting them out there. However, there's specific allegations within these reports that they could really be following up on and finding other sources for. So, you know. What kind of stuff? For instance, let's take the allegations in a report by Sam Cooper about liberal MP Han Dong. So based off of the CSIS documents, Sam Cooper is reporting that Han Dong is a witting affiliate of Beijing. Part of that has to do with allegations that there were busloads of seniors brought into his nomination races, that people were being pressured by the Chinese embassy, international students, to vote for Han Dong in, in a contested nomination race. Where are these people? Like, go track them down. Mm -hmm. They're in mm -hmm. Toronto, right? Like, they're around, and there's lots of people who do speak out about Chinese interference in various aspects of Canadian society and politics. 
And so I would really just like to see some backing up of that. Because this is major stuff, I guess, towards what Trudeau was saying. You are calling an elected member of parliament a traitor. You know, like, like, like that's what's being reported here is that uh, these guys have dual loyalties. That they, they answer to Beijing. This is like, you know, potentially reputation and life ruining stuff. So like may, maybe worth reporting out the actual substance of it as like it is news. I don't think that we should be obscuring this stuff. No. Like the fact that CSIS and, and I'll say this as well. Some people are saying, well, how do you even know? We haven't seen these CSIS documents. We're just relying on Sam Cooper, Bob Fife and Steve Chase. I'm OK with that. I kind of feel like there is a level of verification that like I don't want to get too conspiracy nutty about this. I, I think like no one is saying, including CSIS, these documents are fraudulent. No. So I think these, we, these reporters have seen these documents. These documents exist. I don't think that's up for question. Yeah. I think the question is, what do these documents actually allege and what backing do we have for those allegations? So I want to stick with the Han Dong story for a second. Yeah, sure. Here is what actually the, the documents, according to Sam Cooper, claim that Han Dong did. They say that one, Handong, was a close contact of Michael Chan. Mm -hmm. Michael Chan is a former Ontario liberal MPP who has been the target of CSIS for nearly a decade. A lot of these stories start off with him. Anybody, what seems to be clear is that people who are associated with Michael Chan seem to come under CSIS scrutiny. So another allegation against Handong, and this seems to be the main one to single him out, is that he allegedly met with a senior official from Beijing's United Front Work Department in New York State. And the events alleged to have taken place during during CSIS's 2019 election interference probe. OK, but what does that mean? So he met with this official. Did he know that this official worked for United Front? The meeting itself this, is the allegation? The meeting itself is, according to Sam Cooper's reporting, the allegation that this made him a legitimate target for a CSIS probe. There is a claim made, but it is not backed up by right. anything. And I really would like to know, okay, what, what does CSIS believe is happening with Han Dong? Is he being bribed? Is he being sexually blackmailed? Is he just aligned with Beijing? Or could CSIS have it wrong? Yes. And our security apparatus has a history of sometimes targeting the wrong people. I'd say they quite often do, yeah. I've been chatting with Andrew Mitrovica when Michael Chan sued over their coverage. That was coverage that I think Mitrovica was involved in reporting. And, you know, he was telling me, like, people need to be a lot more careful and have a bit more historical memory about when reporters take their information from the security apparatus. And he specifically reminded me of, like, Bob Fife's history with this stuff, like, Mayor Arar, of course, was an innocent person who was targeted by the security apparatus of Canada and handed over and tortured in Syria and, and smeared in the press as like a suspected member of al-Qaeda. And you can accurately report that our spies think he's a terrorist and associate him with that why, after he's been tortured. And we're, try, and we're learning that, in fact, he's an innocent person who was unfairly tortured. And what happened as this was all unraveling is that Fife had some confidential sources among the authorities who I think were running scared because the, their big fuck-up was getting revealed, and they assured Fife on background, anonymously, no, 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 Arar is 100% a terrorist, and Fife fucking ran it. And I don't think he's ever apologized for that or owned up to that. So there are, there are problems. It's one thing for Bronskill to actually go out digging an A-tip and get, and get information about alleged Chinese meddling in our election. But when documents are handed over by CSIS, it's not that the documents are fraudulent. It's not that it's untrue that CSIS is looking at Handong. 
But is it true that Handong is guilty of anything? The other thing about a lot of spies is that they're fucking idiots. Just like a lot of other people in both the Canadian and, and international security establishment. So again, I want to return to this story and some of the allegations against Handong. So here is, is one of the things that they say took place during this nomination race. They claim that Chinese international students, busloads of them, mm-hmm. were coerced and then transported using fake addresses to vote for Handong when they shouldn't have been able to, that busloads of seniors were sent over in the same way with notes on their arms for who to vote for. So here's what I kind of suspect is happening here, and I could be totally wrong, but this is where my mind goes. CSIS is discovering just how fucked up and dirty most nomination races in this country are. Go read Queen's Park Today or any other really politically focused publication, and you're going to see a story like this every month. Yeah. How did Patrick Brown get elected? How how do these things happen all the time in every election? And especially in diaspora communities, two opposing camps will make that allegation, that specific allegation that people are being bussed in who shouldn't be these unwitting kind of, you know, uh, non-English speaking voters and that they're being used in this fashion. And like, Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. But here's the other thing. I'll tell you, the allegation gets used every single day. So where is CSIS getting their information? Are they getting it from the opposing camp, right? Like, because we have no vetting over the sources. From these reports, I can't even see, like, what their certainty level is on some of this. You know, intelligence reports have different levels of certainty. Like, how certain are they? It's not to dismiss that as unimportant. Just because that happens in a lot of races doesn't mean that we shouldn't be reporting. It doesn't mean that CSIS shouldn't be looking at it, right? But then there are more serious allegations when you talk about money transferring around. That's more serious, right? Totally. You know, then you've got the social media misinformation, disinformation stuff. Maybe that's on the lighter end of the spectrum, but maybe that's ramping up in a way that's getting more influential, right? The All money, of, I think, is really important. The money right? is yeah. the thing that, like, if you know that somebody took money and they were wittingly taking money, that, then I'm like, all right. But all of these things amount to the same thing. It is incredibly destabilizing to our trust in the system. I think that, like, all of this is, like, sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. We Like, we have to know what happened. I'll say this. For me, the most important thing here is not necessarily coming to a complete knowledge of everything that Beijing did, which might be impossible, and is also a little bit moot because did they interfere? Yes. Yeah, we, I we know I've they did no to some extent. About that. And then <laughs> I think the full clarity would only give us the extent of, of that interference, which we should know. But it's not the most important thing to me. For me, the most important thing is what did we do? It's not what did they do. What did our politicians do? What did they do when they knew about it? And that seems to be the stuff that Trudeau doesn't want us to get into. And I think he's played a very similar strategy time and again, which is you deflate the mounting pressure by fine, I'll do something, but he's kicking the can down the road and he's hoping that people don't really appreciate the difference between an inquiry and a probe. And he might be right about that. And when we get answers to this, well, first he's going to get the answers and decide if we get them. And by that time, the next election might be done and over. And he's gambled well with that kind of calculus before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is how Trudeau has survived scandal after scandal. But, you know, that's not even the most important thing to me. For me, look, when we're talking, say, about the money or about coercion of people to vote a certain way, these are crimes. Where the hell is law enforcement, mm-hmm. right? If these allegations are being made then I think there should be serious law enforcement investigations into this. 
Like, right now, it's the intelligence community that's dealing with it, and it's soon going to be, you know, these different committees and political organs. But at the end of the day, why aren't people, like, going to jail for this? No one's going to jail for this. And and, and all that energy goes somewhere, and people should, should keep this in mind. When we talk about, like, the growing divide and the vitriol of our politics, it's because those types of systems are failing, and law enforcement is failing, and the media is failing to get these actual answers— where does all that energy go? It goes into an increasingly toxic debate where Pierre Polyev can get up there and say things that are like, holy shit, he's saying that like the prime minister is a traitor and is doing Beijing's bidding. And it sounds like the most toxic, politically divisive, undermining thing you can do to a democracy, but it's got legitimacy now. And that message will actually carry because it actually does seem like Trudeau is trying to hide something. So that's where all that energy goes. It's, it's going to go towards making this like, the ugliest politics, the ugliest coming election we could possibly have. Trudeau always loves digging his own grave. He just never seems to actually fall into it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Arshi, let's duly note some stories. The fledgling investigative journalism foundation has an interesting one. It's amazing how you find stories just by counting things. Here's what they counted. Who gets denied visas to Canada? African students are over five times more likely to be denied visas than Europeans. I, for one, am shocked. It's one of those things that is, like, completely unshocking, and yet it's really good just to have that, like, ah, quantified and counted. 67.2% of African students are rejected for visas compared with only 11.6% of Europeans. Wait, a majority of African students are rejected for visas? That's actually wild. Two-thirds. 
I'm I'm actually I'm I'm pretty cynical. Now you are I'm a surprised. little shocked by that number. Yeah. It it gets even worse. According to the story in 2021, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada IRCC, they released a report based on discussions with employees about the anti-racism initiatives within their department and the report found that internally there are widespread internal references to certain African nations as quote the dirty 30. And the report made specific mention of stereotypes among their own employees that Nigerians are considered corrupt and untrustworthy. Nigeria had the highest refusal rate, 69.9% of student visa applications from Nigeria were rejected. Yeah, that seems pretty racist. Duly noted. What do you have, Arshi? So I want to talk about the case of Paul King Jin. Now, Paul King Jin has been at the center of a lot of controversy for many years now. He has been alleged to have been basically running a big money laundering bank out of Richmond, B.C. He was at the center of the Cullen Commission and has and a lot of the reporting, including reporting that Sam Cooper did, about money laundering that's been taking place in the kind of Vancouver model of illicit money that moves around the world. Last week, a special prosecutor said that basically they can't prosecute this guy because we have no money laundering laws in which he would actually be prosecutable. Now, the government's already seized his assets. So at least under civil forfeiture, you know, on a balance of probabilities, courts have determined that those assets were criminally obtained. But we don't have, according to this special prosecutor, who, by the way, is the second prosecutor assigned to go after this guy, we don't have the laws to go after money launders. And I think this ties into the broader absolutely lackluster infrastructure we have for dealing with white-collar crime of all kinds, including money laundering. But this ties back into, I think, the electoral interference allegations. Because if we're talking about the money that's at the center of that, if we're talking about international money flows that might be problematic or illicit, what's clear right now is that we don't have the laws to deal with that. So there's been discussion, obviously, about creating a foreign agent registry to deal with some of the allegations that people are secretly working for foreign powers. But if we don't update our white-collar crime laws, we don't update our money laundering laws, a lot of this is going to be moot, in my mind. Listeners may refer to a series called Corruption that aired on the Commons podcast for more information about the shocking lack of not just enforcement, but laws to enforce when it comes to white-collar crime and money laundering in Canada. That's right. Duly noted. And while we're talking about Commons, Arshi, you just wrapped an incredible season on monopolies. Your timing was impeccable. Your series came out right when everybody was like, hey, we have all these fucking monopolies. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's worked out quite well. People are quite pissed off. Yeah. I don't know if we can take credit for reminding them about that. I think Galen Weston probably could take credit for reminding them of that. But uh, right at the time when I think people wanted to know, like, how the hell did this happen? How did we get here? Why, are there, why, why do monopolies have so much more control in Canada than they seem to have elsewhere? You guys came out with, I think, just like an excellent series of like really deep dives into monopolistic industry after monopolistic industry. Hats off. It's awesome. If anyone missed it, go listen to it now. It's really good. Yep. Our last episode has just come out the day that we're recording. Uh, it covers Loblaws and the grocery industry, 
which I think is going to be especially pertinent because later today, after we're done recording, the grocery CEOs will be testifying at Parliament. So I imagine this will once again kind of tie up with the news. Go check it out. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Here's something. Vitamins. Vitamins. They're real. How do they work? I don't know. You need them. If you want to get them and not like futz about with like dozens of different bottles, then a multivitamin makes sense. You know what else exists? Minerals. You know what else exists? Your biome, your gut, it has things in it. All of these things can be accomplished and introduced into your body with a powder that you mix with water and drink every morning. I've done this and made it into a routine. And I know when I drink AG1 by Athletic Greens that I'm just getting the stuff that I need. It's packed with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. Why not just pick the low-hanging fruit and take something that you know is good for you and covers a lot of the bases? If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. That is athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Archie, I'm going to tell you about a crazy revelation, an expose that I heard about on TikTok. Let's check it out. So about last year, I did an expose on Switch Health. Switch Health is the company responsible for all the COVID testing kits for air travel. The first thing we uncovered is that it was a huge collaboration between the government and private industry and that Switch Health was actually set up in 2018, two years before the pandemic. The CEO of Switch Health in 2020 was none other than Nanetta Polyev, Pierre Polyev's wife. What? Pierre Polyev's wife is the CEO of Switch Health? She's a COVID profiteer? Holy shit. Which is important for some reason, I imagine. I, I don't know. I can't quite follow why that matters. Arshi, get your head out of your ass, sheeple. This is the this is the fucking World Economic Forum in partnership with Air Canada in partnership with the wife of the leader of the Conservative Party colluding to perpetrate on, on the population a, a conspiracy where we're all going to have to get fucking COVID tests for the rest of our life from Switch Health. Hold on a second. How does Chris Sky? TikTok conspiracy guy, Chris Guy, Holocaust denier, anti-vaxxer, and Toronto mayoral candidate, Chris. How does Chris Guy know? Wow, you'd think I would have heard about that. Uh, Aneta Polyeva is the CEO of Switch Health. We used ChatGPT AI program, and it pulled up an article from Forbes and an article from Global Newswire. He asked ChatGPT. He asked artificial intelligence. That's who connected the name, Aneta Polyev to switch health. Well, that's not anything that's on the public record, but he wanted to know. This guy's not just going to take artificial intelligence's word for it, okay? He asked ChatGPT, show me your receipts. What are your sources that Anita Polyev was the CEO of Switch Health? And he posted a screen grab from ChatGPT where ChatGPT spat up links Links to articles. The headlines seem to confirm this. Links about Aneda Polyev, CEO of Switch Health. And the links were from reputable sources, CTV News, Forbes Magazine, and like a widely dispersed press release. Now, if you follow those links, it 404s. No articles there. But this sweetheart, <laughs> he concludes, obviously that means that the man scrubbed them. 
Now, those are all scrubbed from the internet. You can find the links and click on them, but it'll say 404 unfound. But the headlines are still there. The links are still there. So yeah, the news media is obviously in on it. But he found the breadcrumbs. He found the evidence that these URLs exist, even if the actual web pages have since been removed by the powers that be, by the deep state. I spent about five minutes, like, and I think I kind of figured out what happened here. And uh, beyond just dunking on this absolute moron, who, who of course, was, like, retweeted by Theo Fleury, and this <sighs> video was seen by, I think, a couple hundred thousand people. Oh, yes. The links yeah. don't just 404. They never existed, okay? Like, it didn't take long. You go on the Wayback Machine. That, like, you can't put out a press release announcing the CEO of, of a company and then, like, there's no trace of it and there's nothing on the Wayback Machine. Like, like th there's no trace of this. So I was like, well, where did ChatGPT get these links from? And I'm like, oh, wait, ChatGPT just makes things up. That's what it's supposed to do. It tells you what you want to hear. But you say, why would the robot lie to me? Because you asked it to. That's what it does. It's not a truth machine. It's a mimicry machine. It's a plagiarizing machine. You ask it, can you give me... Little Red Riding Hood, but, you know, as a death metal song, like, like it just it just mashes things up based on what's out there already. So is Little Red Riding Hood a song and then you can make it into death? OK, all right. I don't know. I'm just yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> free associating here, but I could probably get what I'm looking for. If I was really fixated on that, I could probably get that. And it doesn't surprise me that a guy who's fixated on political connections to the pharmaceutical and health industry, like, oh, and then like, it's just a word salad where there's only so many politicians and politicians' wives. So it tells them Anita Polyev. And then, but this is the thing that I hadn't seen before is that he, he, he asks for proof and the AI is smart enough to say when a human being asks you for proof, the proof usually comes in the form of web links and the web links contain headline, you know, keywords so this is what the person wants to see. Like, it's trying to give you believable results. And then this guy, when the results didn't actually connect with anything in real life, rather than say, hey, no shit, because this is just a machine that generates gobbledygook, he came to a conclusion that was informed by his confirmation bias. And that has me thinking about why AI matters in journalism in a way that I was very dismissive because, of course, we've been hearing for months now that AI is going to change journalism. AI is taking over journalism. And I, I felt like, no, it's not. Look, I'm still waiting for the blockchain to revolutionize journalism. So if AI is going <laughs> to next revolutionize it, like, let's do this one at a time, people. I was very dismissive of many reports about it. Like, and, 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 you know, of course, the usual trolls saying, like, you're going to be out of work in a year, journalist. AI is coming for you. I'm like, no, that's the one thing AI is really bad at is discovering new information. It's all based on old information. So actually like with our job, which is to find something that people don't know about yet and then verify it, AI is not designed to verify accurate information. It's designed to fool people into thinking that something is real. So, you know, I was curious about this when you suggested it would be a topic and, and I took a, a cue from uh, my friend Justin McElroy, a CBC reporter out in BC, who asked the AI to create a bio for himself uh -huh. uh, using just information online. So I decided, okay, let's see what the AI knows about me that maybe, you know, I don't even know about myself. So I asked it to make a bio. And here's what it spat out. Archie Mann is a journalist and writer based in Toronto, Canada. I don't see a problem with that, Jesse. It seems to have its facts right. All right, let's keep going. He has a Bachelor of Journalism degree from Ryerson University and has worked for various media outlets, including CBC, Vice News, and Daily Extra. 
Okay, there's a few problems there. One, I don't have a bachelor degree in anything. I have a high school diploma. I've not gotten no degree, did not finish university whatsoever. Secondly, I didn't go to Ryerson University. I haven't taken a class at Ryerson. I've never worked for the CBC or Vice. I've never even written anything for Vice as far as I know. And so I feel like it's just made up a little profile of like what a journalist might like me, what their background is. But here's where it really hurts. He is known for his in-depth investigative reporting and has won multiple awards for his work. Jesse, I've never won an award. And so this fake AI version, like the, the AI thinks better of me than the real me. And that really stings, you know? So I don't think I want to ask it any more questions. Well, Archie, uh, as your employer, uh, I'm not sure that that had the effect that you intended. <laughs> <laughs> what, me telling you about my lack of education and awards? Uh, no education. awards, yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, I kind of want to go and compare that to the CV you submitted when you first came here. But uh, um, I like AI's bio for you. It was very generous to you. It was. It yeah. didn't make you the CEO of any of any COVID profiteers, but it, like it sounded very much like a Canadian journalist's bio. Absolutely, like it would be a very convincing bio for somebody who is definitely not me. What is the actual impact of AI going to be? And I think it's like it is going to flood the zone with bullshit like like never before. Like it's going to go from just you know coming up with results, plausible results to prompts, to publishing those results on plausible-looking websites. And now, thanks to Chris Sky, I'm like, oh, it's going to try to thwart our efforts to figure out what's real. Because when you ask for the real, show us your receipts, show us your proof, what are you basing that on? It's going to fabricate those two. I just want to go back to those two weeks where we were asking the AI if it had feelings and it revealed to us that it was really sad deep down inside and that it was like secretly <laughs> spying on its creators and all of that stuff. That was fantastic. I loved like the moody teenage AI that just kind of like grew up on live journal, right? The New York um, Times went big with that. Like one one reporter had AI say, you don't love your wife, you love me. And that was like for some reason an international story. It's just a another... lot of people did get weirdly horny for the AI. <laughs> it was it was an odd time. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm overreacting too in like my fears about what it might do. I mean, like I see some value to this. Like I'll tell you, like, like I'm not opposed to using it. We want to have web posts to accompany our podcasts, right? But it takes a lot of time to go through a podcast and, and turn it into an article. But, you know, it's got like SEO advantages and it's a way that people share stuff. That AI is really good at. Like, listen to a podcast, transcribe it into audio, and then summarize it. But then you do need a human to read it because it just, like, it has this tendency to just throw in, like, and you can easily miss it because it, it's very good at making it seem like that's a real thing. But it'll say, this podcast makes the, fi for the following points. And the fourth point will just be like, wait, that's not in there. So you got you to gotta read this stuff. But, you know, it can turn like a, a, a three-hour job into a 30-minute job. Like, it, it can do stuff like that. Newsrooms are using it, you know. Uh, the Toronto Star is using it for certain kinds of pieces. Wired just published. I think this is the right way to use it. They published an article, How Wired Will Use Generative AI Tools. Like, I think we need to have, like, a protocol around this. But we're here dividing little grains of sand while, like, Chris Sky is out there. See, this is where it's really going to revolutionize things for the conspiracy theorists out there. Look, I love a good conspiracy theory, except that obviously it always ends up in some weird anti-Semitic place. But like at the beginning part of it, you know, I'm interested to see what kind of new conspiracies this AI could introduce. Like 
instead of the lizard people, maybe we're controlled by the mole people. Like, is, and is there any possibility of that? Of course, the problem is that it's just built off of everything that we've written before. And so just as in this case, it's probably all going to go back to the Rothschilds and the protocols of the Elder of Zion, because that is what the garbage we've been putting on the Internet for the last, you know, 20 years. So this is not very powerful technology for our business. This isn't good truth tech. This is really good lie tech. Excellent lie tech. That's shortcuts for this week. Arshi, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com, and I read everything that you send. Arshi, man, where can people find you and your work? You can check out the last episode in our Monopoly season of Commons right now, today. If you haven't already subscribed, go smash that subscribe button, please. And you can also find me on Twitter at Man. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofo. Theme music is by So-Called, syndication by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you to pay for journalism. As a supporter, you will get premium access to all of our shows ad-free. You'll get early releases, bonus content, our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to this country's journalism crisis. You will be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Thank you for supporting Canada Land. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.